Welcome to another episode of the Cardiac Exchange by Medtronic. Please enjoy today's episode. So welcome, dear listeners, to another insightful episode of the Medical Podcast Series. Today we delve into a critical and fascinating topic, which is anticoagulation management for patients receiving surgical bioprosthetic heart valve. Our expert panelists are here to shed light on this essential aspect of patient care and share their extensive knowledge and experience. Firstly, we have Dr. Juan Crestanello, a distinguished cardiovascular surgeon based at Mayo in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Crestanello's expertise lies in performing surgeries for valvular heart disease uh, using both conventional and minimally invasive approaches. Beyond his surgical prowess, he is deeply invested in researching clinical outcomes after various cardiac surgical procedures, making him a valuable voice in our discussion. Joining Dr. Crestanello is Dr. Catherine Harrington, a specialist in the treatment of thoracic and aortic disease. She also is specialized in mitral valve disease and coronary bypass grafting. And her particular interest in bicuspid aortic valves and aortic valve repair brings insightful knowledge here to the discussion today. She also likes to do perform minimally invasive procedure and is also involved in transcatheter heart valve procedures at Baylor Scott and White Medical Center. And last but certainly not least, we are honored to have Dr. Mark Cunningham as part of our panel. He's the interim chief of cardiac surgery at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. And he has been recognized with the USC Faculty Excellence Award and has played a significant role in developing peer-to-peer educational programs and compassing robotic surgery, minimally invasive techniques, percutaneous methods, and aortic surgery. I'm honored to guide this esteemed panelist and moderating this engaging discussion. My name is Peter Kapitein. I'm a cardiac surgeon from the Netherlands, and I'm chief medical officer for Medtronic. Now, what we are discussing today is a very important topic, and that comes actually from a publication that a couple of months ago was published about the anticoagulation management after surgical bioprosthetic heart valve replacement. And it actually pointed out to the fact that guidelines are not always followed. And that may cause problems because it may lead to complications. So maybe if I can start with Dr. Juan Castanello asking the question, can you please describe very briefly, you know, why it is so important, this publication? Thank you, Peter. Thank you for being here. We will review the Optum Lab Data Warehouse, which is uh, a database that uh, houses data from United Healthcare, from private insurance patients, as well for Medicare Advantage. There were 10,000 patients who underwent isolated aortic valve replacement uh, between 2007 and 2019. And uh, we examined the rate of early anticoagulation on those patients. And only, as you say, only 28% uh, of the patients had uh, anticoagulation early after the surgery. And that really is, um, during that time, there were multiple versions of the guidelines, but if we base on any of the versions that there were there, the compliance with the current guidelines at those times was not was less than, than a quarter of all the patients. And if, if, if we look at the recommendations by the most recent guidelines, only 11% of the patients had anticoagulation that extended beyond uh, three months after the surgery. Right. So really pointing out to the, the fact that, you know, what happens in hospitals is not always according to guidelines and may, may lead to complications. And I thank you very much for that introduction. But of course, there are lots of different factors that we need to take into account when deciding whether a patient needs anticoagulation therapy. 
So maybe I can ask Catherine, so what kind of factors do you take into account whether you place patients on anticoagulation or not? Um, obviously for, for tissue valves, our site does follow the current guidelines. We, we do um, three to six months of anticoagulation. If they're in AFib ahead of time, it's much easier, obviously. I think there is some hesitance if you have an older, frailer patient um, that you're worried about falls, or if say they had a, a more bloody surgery, people are still worried about bleeding and, and late tamponade. Uh, but we do currently follow the guidelines, although we haven't always. I would say the TAVR literature has pushed us to start following it more and more with the partner sub-studies that are finding the halt, both on the, the TAVR valves and the SAVR valves. That's really pushed us to be a little more aggressive with our anticoagulation of biologic valves. Yeah. So, so actually, that's an important point that you raised about TAVR actually pointed to the fact that valve thrombosis is that's not a low incidence. At least we should pay attention to it. So how do you assess that, that valve thrombosis after a surgical AVR? So we have a protocol in place that if anyone comes in with a repeat echo with a gradient uh, increase over a certain amount, um, generally about 20, um, depending on what their baseline is, then they'll get a 4D CT scan. And then that will assess for, you know, halt and leaflet uh, thrombose hypoattenuation. If there is halt, then we will um, anticoagulate and then rescan again in about six months. But any um, redo, any old surgical aortic valve patient that comes into our TAVR clinic that perhaps has an early failure, like a five or a six year, we get a 40 CT on every surgical prosthetic valve prior to TAVR to see if if maybe they just need anticoagulation and not, not a TAVR valve and valve. Is your impression about the incidence, is it higher or lower after surgical AVR than after TAVR or is it the same? What I use is the Partner 3 um, CT sub-study and it's about, it was at 13% at 30 days for TAVR and 5 for SAVR at 30 days. And then at a year, it's 28, 30 for, for TAVR and 20 for SAVR. So, I mean, those are not insignificant numbers. So that's what pushed us to, in addition to the thromboembolic risk and in the, in the post-op AFib uh, in the post-operative period, that, that's what pushed us to kind of really do anticoagulation on everyone as the guidelines recommend. Right. Yeah. Well, an excellent protocol that you follow also to, to assess the uh, thrombosis risk. Uh, Mark, do you have a similar protocol at the Brigham and Women's or do you have something different? I think we would have a similar protocol, yes. Okay. And if patients are put on anticoagulation, you know, after surgery, sometimes it's a challenge to make sure that they also stop it when it's no longer necessary. Do you have something special that you, how to make sure also that patients don't stay too long on anticoagulation? I think that it's, it's always important to have good communication with your cardiologist. And what happens is uh, oftentimes as surgeons, we don't continue to see the patients into the three to six months range. And so we need to communicate somehow what our intentions are from the valve perspective. And then always um, a lot of these patients have other comorbidities that require anticoagulation. And you have to tease out what are the indications for that anticoagulation, how that uh, relates to a particular patient. Right. It, it's always, of course, difficult with anticoagulation, you know, to assess the risk of bleeding versus thrombosis, uh, thromboembolic complications. And, and Juan, maybe you can ask you, so how do you assess that risk and what factors do you take into account if you look at bleeding versus thrombosis? Well, um, certainly the, the, the review of the literature uh, on anticoagulation after a surgical bioprosthesis shows that there's some papers that shows a benefit, but that benefit is associated with an increased uh, risk of bleeding. And there is this, uh, this Danish uh, paper that was published, I believe it was uh, 2017 or around that time from uh, Mary, that um, using the, the Danish uh, database shows that the patients who, who had a bioprosthesis and had early anticoagulation 
uh, had a better long-term survival and, and a decreased risk of thromboembolic uh, complications with a no substantial risk of increased substantial increased risk of bleeding. But this is a funny uh, group because the the comparison, the group that did not receive the anticoagulation with vitamin K antagonists did not receive aspirin. And so we don't really know exactly what the, the benefit of anticoagulation compared to a, no anticoagulation without aspirin versus no anticoagulation with aspirin. So it's possible that those patients, if they had received aspirin, they will have lower rates of thromboembolic complications and maybe also better survival. And there's many parameters that we use in terms of evaluate the, the risk of bleeding or the risk of thromboembolic complications. I mean, we have the CHADVAS score, which is an absolute number, uh, as well as the HASBLEED score. But that's something that we don't do routinely. And, and I don't think that the majority of the physicians do that in the routine uh, practice. However, you can estimate the, the risk of bleeding based on, on the age of the patient, the frailty, how frequent, how stable they are in, in, in ambulation, where they have a history of falls. And all those are important considerations in terms of decide whether to prescribe anticoagulation after surgery or not. And maybe one very basic question, maybe we should have started with that one. What is that? So patient gets a surgical AVR, a bioprosthetic heart valve. What was the protocol at the Mayo Clinic? Uh, how long warfarin, how long uh, aspirin? We send everybody for six months. I mean, that's our recommendation. Anticoagulation both with the vitamin K antagonist and aspirin. Right. And then after six months, you stop warfarin and with, continue with, with aspirin. Yeah. Right. But one of the issues that we have in our practice is that the majority of the patients are from elsewhere. So we, as Dr. Cunningham mentioned, it's very important that the instructions are clearly delineated in the post-operate uh, on the discharge instruction that the patients should stop the anticoagulation unless there's other indications uh, after uh, six months. Otherwise, it can become one of those situations where patients are maintained on anticoagulations forever without a clear reason or benefit, and they have there's a risk associated with that. Absolutely, yeah. Catherine, is that your protocol as well, or is it different? Yeah, we do a baby aspirin for life, and then we do warfarin for three months. And then we tend to run them a little lower INR, 1.8 to 2.5. That's the what we recommend, I think, to kind of hedge our bets with the, the bleeding issue. But that's our, our current facilities protocol. But yeah, I try to both tell the, the patient that they get to stop at you know three months as well as the referring cardiologist. But I think if you hit it from both sides, it's more likely for, for them to not accidentally be on it indefinitely. Yeah, thanks. And Mark, what, what is your protocol? Well, what I was going to say is it's interesting that we, we, we may think that we have these protocols, but at the same time, this paper demonstrates that maybe these protocols aren't followed as strongly as we think they're being followed. And I think a number of surgeons would either fight vigorously and say, no, anticoagulation of vitamin K is not required, and they don't put their patients on it, uh, or come up with some contraindication to placing the, the patients on it. Like I say, one of the things I thought was interesting about the paper is that it showed that some of the high-risk groups were most more likely to be on anticoagulation. At the same time, those would suggest that maybe that's the group that shouldn't be on anticoagulation. So they were brought into having anticoagulation based on some of the comorbidities as opposed to the valve itself, which mm -hmm. I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah it is. Juan, please go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. I mean, it looks like there were other reasons for anticoagulation beyond the valve 
replacement. I mean, the patients were elderly, they have more heart failure, they have more atrial fibrillation. And um, so I, I think that there's probably the, the reason why there was an increased compliance was not necessarily because the doctors were following the guidelines in, in that group of patients more strictly. It was more likely because they had other reasons for anticoagulation. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.